Many of you know, uh, I say this often, I, I talk about it, I use it a lot as illustrations, I'm a big basketball fan. Uh, in, in recent years, uh, with uh, life, basically, kids, everything, I don't get uh, as much time as I would like to watch basketball. In fact, I don't watch basketball all that much anymore, but I found myself the last couple weeks with the NBA Finals on as the season was winding down. I, uh, the games would come on at 9 o'clock, all my kids would be in bed, and I started getting into it. And I started watching it, and the reason I was drawn to watching is the two teams in the Finals, both of them, uh, at least three players on each team will be in the Hall of Fame. They're just some really, really great players in this Finals. And so I kind of got into it, and I started watching it. And uh, the thing that struck me is they, they always bill uh, the big games by the star players and rightfully so, they're the best players and they keep put, putting it on that. But as you watch this series, and if, if you're a basketball fan and even if you're not, it doesn't matter, but as you watch this series unfold, what you saw over and over was the guys that most people hadn't really heard of, what we'd say is kind of the role players, one of them would have some huge game and it would totally turn it around. In fact, one guy for the San Antonio Spurs that I would venture to say most of you have never heard of, uh, even pretty big basketball fans probably have ne- never heard of him. His name was Danny Green. He set an NBA record for most three-pointers in a series. And so this guy that nobody knows who he is just completely starts making everything and taking over. And then the very last game of the championship, the, the deciding game, a guy that's not a real big name makes seven three-pointers and changes the whole game. And so what you saw as you watched it and as I kept thinking about it, you know, every time the announcers would come on, they're always pumping the star players and all this stuff. But uh, as watching as someone who's a big basketball fan who used to coach basketball, in my mind I kept going, yeah, they keep making about this, but every one of these games is really big being decided by the role players, by the, by the guys that most people don't normally think of. And so they would even try to kind of bring it, yeah, 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 that guy's made all these shots, but it's really about, and then they go back to the big players. And as a coach, as I was th- sitting there watching, I go, that's not really true. Yes, you have to have those really good players to be there, but to be one of the best teams and to win a championship, you have to have all the pieces and they all have to be going together well and they all have to be functioning in the right way. Not everybody can shoot it. Not everybody can do everything at once. And so you have to have all these players coming together. And so as I say that, it may sound like, well, that's great. That's a nice little pet talk about teamwork or or how we how you win or how you work together or or you could say that's great for a coaching strategy or or something along those lines but i bring that up because essentially that is what paul is saying and telling us in first corinthians chapter 12 that we're going to look at today he he begins to uh, and just remember the church he's writing to in corinth has all kinds of issues and problems and so he begins to lay this groundwork here in this uh, chapter 12 of of or he continues in this that we've been seeing of of the importance of every part of the body and why that's the case and he does it in a way that he just makes this huge theological argument he gives us this great reason why that's the case and so we're going to look at that today and, and what Paul says and why that's so important. And it's a wonderful lesson for us as a local body of believers together. It's a wonderful lesson for us as the church universal. And what I mean by that is all believers everywhere in the world, that God has a plan for all of us and there's a unity there. And we're going to see that in the way he says this in 1 Corinthians 12. But before we look at it, let's pray. And then we're going to look at uh, this this chapter here together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and that it uh, shows us and teaches us and corrects us and we pray this morning that you would just uh, that your spirit would move in this place that you give us a tent of hearts 
that you'd give us uh, uh, soft hearts that are, that are willing to listen and apply to uh, uh, the, the truth of your word to our lives. We pray this morning that as we open your word that uh, your spirit would move freely in this place, that you would do your work, that you would empower this time, that you would teach us and show us. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so as we look at this, uh, some of you, I know uh, I, I point you to this often. Uh, there's a, a outline that we put towards the back of the bulletin. If that helps you follow along, I just want to make there's one correction. I made a change after we printed it. So just the first point, I'm going to give you the three things we're going to look at this morning. Uh, the first point there, it says, I think in the bulletin, it says who we are in Christ. Really what we're going to look at is how uh, the spirit is at work in believers. So really that first point is how the spirit is at work. And then secondly, what we're going to look at is why has God done it this way? Why is God working in this manner that we're going to talk about? And then lastly, we're going to look at how does this apply to each of us? And so those are kind of the three things that we're going to look at as as we go through it this morning. And so we're going to read through 1 Corinthians 12 as we're working our way through. So I'm not going to read all of it at the beginning, but let's just go ahead and jump straight into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so I want us to start with this picture of how the Spirit is at work and, and the work of the Holy Spirit in the body of believers. You know, the sermon title, I think, is, is One Body and One Spirit. We're going to see this unity through God's Spirit. And so we need to start very foundationally uh, as a Christian. And I just want to ask this question. And by the way, if you're here today and you're not a believer, you wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus. I'm going to talk a lot about the way the Spirit works in the life of a believer. But if you're here today and you're, you still have questions and you wouldn't count yourself of a believer, I don't want you to check out on this. And I just want to say to you, if you're here today and you're listening for whatever reason, you're here and you're, you're hearing my words and you're hearing God's word today, that is the spirit moving and working. God is working in a way and he's brought you here for a reason. And so just say, even though I'm going to address some of this to believers, please don't check out on that. God has a word for you to hear as well from his word. And so as we consider, though, as a believer, I want to ask this question. I want you to think this way at the beginning. How did you come to faith? How is it that you became a Christian? And I want you just to think about that for a second. And and when I say that, what I don't mean, I don't mean uh, who maybe told you the gospel for the first time or or church camp or where you were or what what was going. I don't mean those specifics of, of people, although those are wonderful to remember and go back and think about those things. But that's not really what I'm asking. And I'm not really asking for you to say, uh, I put my faith in Jesus and I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I need a savior to come in that I can never make myself righteous before God, but I need Jesus to come and do that for me. That's not really what I'm asking. What I want to ask is why did you ever see the need for a savior? Why did you ever confess that Jesus is Lord and that you need a savior in your life? Because this is so foundational to the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of a believer. And Paul tells us right here in the beginning, if you look at just the first few verses of chapter 12, I'm going to start just those first three there. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so where I want us to start with the foundational truth is the only way that you ever recognize your need for a savior and confess Jesus Christ is Lord is by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
the spirit moving in your life to reveal that to you, to open your eyes for you to see it. Paul clearly says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Well, you can say, well, wait a second. People could physically say those words and not mean it. I think by the context here and what we're talking about, who Paul's writing to is he's addressing people that are believers. He's addressing people like Romans 10 says that have, have called upon the name of Jesus and believed in their hearts and have been saved. And so it's not just physically saying the words, but saying the words and really meaning it. And so what Paul tells us and what scripture tells us is that the only way that happens is by the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to see it. And so the spirit has to move and and begin to regenerate you and bring you to life for you to ever see that at all. And that is so foundational to the work of the spirit in our lives as believers from the very beginning. And you could say, well, how do you get completely to that? And I think Paul helps explain it uh, pretty well in Ephesians chapter 2. You can flip there with me if you're following along in these Bibles. It's actually about 10 pages to the right. It's on page 634 if you're using the Pew Bible that looks like this. But just listen to what Paul says because he explains this so clearly why that has to be the case, that the Holy Spirit has to open our eyes. And listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And what Paul's doing there in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2 is just giving us a clear picture of who we all are apart from Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit coming in and regenerating us and opening our eyes. He says what we are in verse one there is we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That is spiritually speaking, apart from the Holy Spirit bringing us to life, we are spiritually dead and we will follow our own desires and our own flesh and we will never look to God and we will just go on our way in that And so what you begin to see is is that we are spiritually dead. A spiritually dead person can't profess Jesus. He says it's only in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, if you look at verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so the picture is that we are spiritually dead apart from the Holy Spirit coming in and it is God's Spirit moving and bringing us to life that we can ever confess Jesus as Lord. And that's what he's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 there in those first few verses, that God has to bring us to life. And so when we see that, uh, we, we get this picture of the Spirit's work, the most foundational level of the Spirit's work in our life is regenerating us, of bringing us to life. Being able to see God and confess him and to to see our need. And the picture is uh, throughout the Bible. For example, in uh, Romans chapter 3, Paul will say that no one seeks God. That we're all uh, looking to our own way and no one does good and no one seeks God apart from the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, and maybe maybe you have this thought as I say that, uh, sometimes we'll say, "Well, well, wait a second. I know people that are not Christians that do good things. And so when we say that of Romans 3, that no one seeks God and no one does good and all those things that Paul lays out there, you go, well, wait a second, I know people who, who give of their time 
and they, uh, they volunteer and they go to soup kitchens and they do all kinds of great things that are not believers. And so you can say, well, you don't do anything good except through God's spirit coming and moving. How does that work? Because it seems that there are people that do that. But I want to remind you the way the Bible looks at it, that we are made for God's glory and to be about him. Now, oftentimes we will seek to do good things because we are made in God's image and because he is gracious and he allows us and we, are, we have the marks of the, our creator on us and we want to help others in different ways. But I think what happens is when you start to get to our heart motivations of why that's the case, uh, some things get revealed. I've asked this and this is by no means scientific. It doesn't mean that every person would say this. I've asked this question to many people in the last couple of years when someone will tell me, oh yeah, I want, I want to help people. I want to do good or I volunteer, I do this and they're not believers. And I say, well, why do you do that? I often ask that question because I want people to think about their motivations because the Bible cares about our motivations. Jesus was very much about our motivations and why we do the things we do. And so I'll ask that question. I'll say, well, why do you do that? And almost without fail, I'll get the answer of it makes me feel better. I help people because it makes me feel better. And that's true. We're made in God's image. We were made to be outwardly focused and helping people. And so that will give us some joy. We say that often. It's better to give than receive. And so in some ways that's true, but I want you to really think about that for a second. If your motivation for helping people is because it makes you feel better, what's the center of your good works? It's you. It's, it's selfish. It's self-centered. I do it so I feel better. I'm not really doing it out of a pure motive of really wanting to help other people. I'm doing it because I want me to feel better about myself. And oftentimes we don't really even think that way, but the Bible points us back to that and it reveals our heart over and over that apart from God's spirit coming in, we do things for selfish motives. We seek to be the center of all things. And so the very foundational thing for us to ever begin to spiritually awaken, the Holy Spirit has to come in and begin to do a work in our life. And so very, very foundational is that, that we are spiritually dead and it takes the Holy Spirit to bring us to life. So that's, that's the first thing, but that's not all. I want you to look at verses four, five, and six there. And so he says, now there are a variety of gifts by the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the, uh, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but in the same God who empowers them all and everyone, right? And he says, so the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to empower us. And then he gives us a whole list of spiritual gifts, right? To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And then he goes through a whole list of things that God begins to do and work through his spirit for the common good. And he begins to lay those out there. And then he gets to verse 11 and he says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so the second thing I want to point you to is not only does God bring us to life, we're spiritually dead. He brings us to life. He then begins to empower us and give us gifts to serve him for the good of others. And so not only does the Holy Spirit bring us to life, it empowers us. It gives us spiritual gifts so that we can edify and, and build up the body and point to God and who he is. And so the spirit, the first thing it says, he, he brings us to life. The second thing he empowers us, but that's not all. If you see the very end of verse 11, he says, all these are empowered by, by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so God gives gifts 
through his spirit. Not only does he empower us, he gives us very specific gifts according to his will to each person. And so you see this picture of he brings us to life and he empowers us and then he gives us specific gifts. And so you get this picture of for all believers. And if if you follow Paul's logic there, you get to the end of verse 11. It says to each one individually as he wills that God's giving to each one. And you say, well, who's he talking about each one who has these spiritual gifts? Well, he started right at the beginning by saying no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And then as you work your way down in verse seven, he says to each to each is given the manifestation of the spirit to each. And so as you follow Paul's logic through, he says, all come to faith, profess Christ, say Jesus is Lord through the spirit. And then he gives and empowers each one. And then he gets to the end and he says again to to each one individually as he wills. And so what I'm getting to here is just simply this. That if you are a Christian and you've put your faith in Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit has brought you to life and he's empowered you. And then he has uniquely gifted you. That's all Christians everywhere. And so the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is it brings us to life and empowers us. And then it uniquely gifts us for the good of others. And so I want us to think about why that's the case. Why God moves like that, why he gifts us in that way, why he does it like that. And so the first obvious answer we've already kind of covered is that we're spiritually dead apart from God. And so we can't do anything good unless God comes in and regenerates us. But I want us to think more specifically about part of the reasons that God does that like this through his spirit in this way. And there's a couple things I want to point you to. You notice there in verse 11, as it says, he apportions to each one individually as he wills. He's talking about spiritual gifts that he gives to each and every one of us. And he gives different things in different ways. He gets to the end of the chapter and he he begins to ask, does everyone have all these? And he's basically saying, no, we don't all have them. God gives unique gifts to different people in different ways. And he says he gives them to us for us to work together for the common good. And then so so I want you just to think about what God's doing and how he's working there. Look at verses starting in verse 12 and follow along with me there. For just as the body is one and has many members and all are members of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ for in one spirit, we were all baptized into the body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. And he's pointing us to the unity of all believers together. We all have the same spirit. We're all brought in that same way. But then listen to the analogy he makes starting in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there is many parts, yet one body. And so Paul begins to show us that God has uniquely gifted us in different ways through his spirit. He's empowered us. He's given us different things and he does so in different ways. It says he apportions as he wills. And then verse seven, it tells us he does so for the common good. I want you to think about that for just a second. God has uniquely gifted you with spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit, but they're not for you. 
They're for others. They're for the common good. They're for the body as a whole. God's given you gifts to help other people, not necessarily for you. He says it's for the common good. It's for other people. And so I want you to think about what God's doing and how he's doing that. Why does he do it like that? Right? God is God. He can do anything. He is all powerful. Why does he not just give all of us all the gifts? Why does to some he gives the gift of teaching and some he gives a gift of encouragement and some he gives the gift of all different things? Why does he do it like that? Why does he give some here and some here and not just give everybody everything? And there's a couple reasons I think that's the case. And one, I begin to think that, that God does that because you are unique and you are valuable in and of yourself and you are made in his image and he's affirming that he has special things that he wants to give you and he wants to work in your life in a certain way. The, uh, that, you, that you are precious in his sight, that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that he has your days planned before they even begin and he has this wonderful plan and picture for you. But I think even deeper still than that, yes, there's a picture of uniqueness, but there's something uh, far greater that God's doing in the way that he's regenerating and remaking us as believers. I want you to think for just a second as he begins to give some here and some here, and then he says they're for the good together, and you're going to have to come together, and you're going to have to work together to see all this. And I think the picture of what God is doing is he is taking our sinful tendency to be completely and totally self-sufficient and to be self-centered and all about me. And he's slowly turning us inside out to take us back to what we were originally intended to be. I want you to think about that for a second. God made us in his image and after his likeness. Each person here is made in God's image. Genesis 1:27 says that he made man in his image and after his likeness. Male and female, all men and women are both made in God's image. And so we think about, well, what does that mean? What does God's image mean? And what does it mean to be made in God's image? God in and of himself is perfect relationship. Uh, Oftentimes the question comes up, I heard it in VBS by one of the kids this week, and it was great. They bring up and they'll say, well, God made, made us because he was bored, right? He needed somebody to talk to. Biblically speaking, that's not true. God didn't need us at all. In and of himself, he is perfectly happy, perfectly joyful, perfect relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is perfectly loving and outwardly focused on the other, glorifying, working together. C.S. Lewis, I love the picture that he has of the dance, that each one is orbiting around the other, pointing to the other perfectly and fully. And so in and of himself, God is perfect relationship. And so he made us to be entering into his perfect relationship so that we could know him. He does it for our joy, not for his own. He didn't need us, but he does it because he wants to share that joy with us. And so we're made to be outwardly focused first on God and then second on other people. Right? That's why Jesus would summarize all the law. They say, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of the opposite of our culture. He doesn't say it's all to love yourself. He actually says it's to love God and then it's to love other people. And so when I begin to see how God is regenerating, remaking us in the spirit, and you read that he brings us from death to life, he empowers us, he gives us very specific gifts that he doesn't give to all people, and then he says these are all going to work together. Do you see what he's doing? 
He's pulling you out of your self-centeredness that makes it all about you. And he says, I'm giving you these gifts and I'm not even giving them to you for you. I'm giving them to you for other people. He's restoring us to the way we were originally supposed to be made. And what else would God's spirit be doing? He's perfect and he's beginning to remake us and to regenerate us. And so the picture is that he's equipping us and he's turning us outward to to go and to work together and to to love one another. And, And when we do that, when he begins to do that in us, what's happening is he's doing so for his glory. And what I mean by that is we are made to glorify God. And so as he works in us and turns us outwardly focused, we're now glorifying God. Glorifying means pointing back to who God is. God is all those things perfectly. When we begin to function in that way, we're pointing back to who he is. And we are beginning to align with what we're made for. So not only is it for his glory, it is for your joy. You were made to be for God first and then people And so in the spirit, as he comes in and begins to equip you and do that, he's turning you inside out from your selfishness to self-forgetful for other people, for God's glory. And he's aligning you with what you were made for. And so when we do things, like I mentioned before, we'll do things out of somewhat selfish motives. I'll help because it makes me feel better. Right? Well, you do get some joy out of that because in some way you are helping others and you are getting outside of yourself, even though your motivations are somewhat selfish. It's a little piece of it. But when we begin to get outside of ourselves for God's glory and for the good of others, and it's not about us, the joy just increases because that's what you were made for. Because you were made in God's image. You were made for his glory. And so that's what God is doing when he begins to give us these different gifts through the outflowing of his mercy he's remaking you to the way you were intended to be through his spirit and so that's the picture that begins to emerge here you know in corinth they were a mess they were wanting to put everybody in categories and everybody's fighting and this guy's better than this guy and they're looking down and i'm with paul and i'm with apollos and all these things and paul goes you guys are missing the whole thing god has done this wonderful work so that you would be for the good of others Right? We talked about last week how we're all equal. We all come to Christ in the same way through faith and what he's done for us. And it's not ours. There's, there's an equality in the way we're saved. It's the same. He gives us these gifts. And he gives us different gifts, not so he can say, I gave you this gift and you this gift and you're better than him. Paul's going, no, 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 you're missing the whole thing. It's for the good of others. And so you're not looking down on other people, but you're helping and building up and you're, you're returning to the way you were made. You're aligning with God's very spirit in the way he's working. And so I want us to think about just for a minute, a few minutes here before we end on why uh, he does that, why, why, how that applies to us. If you are a believer and you've put your faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit has brought you to life and he is now empowering you, indwelling in you, what does that mean? And the first thing is, is real obvious, but we still need to say it and simply is that you have the creator God of the universe living inside of you. You are empowered by God's very spirit. It's the only Think about that for just a second. The miracle of you coming to faith and professing Jesus is because God came in and empowered you and opened your eyes. The God of the universe is in you. He's working through you. His very spirit 
And so that's the first thing I want you to see. But then the second thing I say is that same spirit is in all believers everywhere of all time. That there's uh, a unique uh, uh, equality with all of us and that the only reason any of us ever put our faith in Christ is because of the Holy Spirit. You can't look down on anyone else when you grasp that. The only reason I ever went from spiritually dead to spiritually awake is because of the Spirit moving in my life and opening my eyes to see Jesus. And so there's no place to look down on others. And then, and then when you start to see what he's telling us about that he gives gifts, each one individually as he wills, and he's giving gifts to different people in different ways, it's not that he's gifted you for better or for worse. He's gifted you uniquely, and they're all for God's glory. And he knows exactly what he's doing in his perfect will that he would do it in this way. And so there should be no, oh man, that guy's so spiritual, he does whatever. God's gifted you exactly like he wants to. He didn't make a mistake. His spirit is working in you and he's given you gifts and he wants you to use them for the good of others. And that would lead me to the third thing I would say for all of us. You have a significant role to play in God's kingdom. The living spirit, the God of the universe is living inside of you and he's working and he's gifting you in unique ways for the good of others. And he wants to use you. He wants to use you in marvelous ways. And, and whether you've just hearing this and you, you're, you're processing this and going, man, I don't even really know where to begin with spiritual gifts and, and what that means or what mine might be. Or maybe you've heard this a lot and you could say, oh, I'm gifted in these areas and I've seen God using me in these areas, which wherever you are in that spectrum. Even if you've got a great big view of how God has used you and how he's going to use you and you've got these things that you're saying, yes, look at how God you, whatever your uh, conception of that is, whatever it is, it's too small. I can say that fully and completely. And the reason it's too small is because it's the living God of the universe inside of you. There's nothing he can't do. And he desperately wants to use you. He wants you to yield to his spirit and follow where he's leading. And so often we go, oh, I don't have anything to offer. When you think about what you're saying, if you're claiming to be a Christian, the Holy Spirit has, has empowered you and gifted you and is living inside of you, and you go, I don't really have anything to offer. There's no other way to say it other than that's blasphemy. The God of the universe is inside of you, gifting you, wanting to use you for the good of others. What a picture. And so I would just say that God has a significant role for you to play in his kingdom. And so the fourth thing I would take us to is that's the case for each and every person here and he's gifted us in different ways. And so what I would say next is that means we need each other. Nobody's got it all, right? We all have different parts and different roles and God's given us different gifts and all these things and so no one has all of it. And so God gives us spiritual gifts and in these different ways for the good of others, it says in verse 7, and so that shows us just the importance of being part of a local body and being involved and beginning to, to uh, figure out what your gifts are. And by the way, a lot of times you need other people to help you with that. I've seen this a lot. People are like, oh, no, no, I'm not. I could never teach. 
And then they get up there and teach and everybody goes, what do you mean? And we, we sometimes miss what our gifts are. Or we, we're thinking by our personality or something and we need each other to, to even identify those and then walk in them. And so I would just say that we need each other. Right? We say often, we talk about small groups and being involved in discipling relationships and spending time together and all these things. Paul said, you're gifted in ways for the good of others. And if we ignore all that part and we just keep it, oh, I'll come to church and it's about me and then I'll go my separate way and I won't do anything else, we're missing so much of how God wants to use us. And so we need one another. And then lastly, and I want to make sure we always end and we we point to this, all of this, every bit of it, our, our coming to life, the Holy Spirit moving and showing us, our putting our faith, all those things, every single bit of it, all along the way is by God's grace. The only reason you can ever believe is because Christ purchased your ability to believe when he died on the cross for you. Right? The reason that you can have the spirit of the living God come and live inside of you is because Christ took your sins and he removed them and he washed you and he opened the way for the spirit to now come in and live inside of you by what he's done. And so all these gifts and all these things and all the ways that God brings us together and all of this is simply for his glory and for his name through what Jesus has done for us. And that always has to be the picture, not calling you to those things to try to make you uncomfortable or own. I'm calling you to those things because God's gifted us in this way and it is the way that he will be glorified. It is the way that we as a body will make much of Jesus. And it's all by his doing and for his glory. And so we want to make sure we always are landing there and saying that and pointing to that because it's by God's grace alone. And that should inspire us and excite us that he's doing that and what he's done for us. And so I just just end with that. This picture is a beautiful picture of the way God's spirit moves in us. There's a lot in this chapter that I'm kind of flying through. And if you've got questions about that, we always want to be continually talking and working through those. But I do want you to hear, God's got a plan to use you. And so that's just my prayer that we would would yield to that, that we would seek to be used by him, that we'd want for him to use us in all the ways that he has for us. And so let's pray. God, we do thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the ways that you're continually just turning us back into your image. You're remaking us. That through your spirit, you're showing us and revealing and teaching us. And we pray this morning that you would do that, that you would take our hearts and that you would begin to remake us into your image. And we would do so for your glory and uh, that we do so because we want to yield to you and we want to see you glorified in all things. We thank you that through those things as you work, that you give us a great joy and you point us more fully to you. And so we just ask that your spirit would just move more and more fully in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.